Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show. And yeah, you got it, Fritchie 101. It is KNR time, and it's going to be a good one here. I thought we'd start off before Ken gets here and jumps to the buffet. I know I've been accused of going to the buffet lately, but we all know who the real feeder is here out of the two of us. I thought before he comes on the show, we could play a little game of... What if I told you I love that game? You know, like, for example, my wife and I, we, we say, like, what if, you know, what if I told you when we were getting married that 10 years later we'd have, you know, this and that and whatever. This weekend's a perfect example. Uh, Tuesday or Saturday we had two dogs and two cats. And if I said, what if I told you that uh, uh, three days from now we're going to stop in for a random visit at the Humane Society and walk away with another one-eyed cat now. So we've got uh, a new cat in the house. Uh, I love that game. What if I told you? So, Well, let's play a game of what if I told you as it relates to the Winnipeg Jets. What if I told you heading into this six-game stretch that they were playing teams below the playoff line? What if I told you that the Winnipeg Jets would be uh, outplayed or at the very least outshot in four of those games? And what if I told you in that stretch against teams that were, you know, struggling teams, that three of those six games would go to overtime or a shootout? Uh, what would you think? Would you be happy about that? Would you be thinking that, would you be feeling confident about the Winnipeg Jets playoff chances? Would you, uh, would you have expected that? Would you have not expected that? Uh the interesting part about that is what if I told you that happened, that the Jets were outplayed four or six of those games? And what if I told you that the Jets went to overtime, a place where they could not win not long ago before this? What if I told you that over that stretch of six games, the Winnipeg Jets walked away with 10 of a possible 12 points, uh, which puts them in, at, a, I think, about an 8.33 winning percentage? Now, we talked about this heading into that, the, in, into that stretch of games. The Jets basically needed to be about a 7.26. 733 winning percentage team. So they've, you know, pushed themselves and actually given themselves a little bit of room here. This is exactly what the Winnipeg Jets needed to do over this stretch of games. Would they have liked to have gone six for six? Absolutely. But I don't think that that's, you know, I mean, to go five of six, I don't care who you are. I think you would have been pretty happy over that stretch. Uh, it's put them in this continual thing. And I t tweeted about this the other night. And I know there's a lot of people out there and Believe me, I get it. I checked the standings. I went to Money Puck today. That 5.1% chance of the Winnipeg Jets making the playoffs. I looked at some other models, about a 7% chance of them making the playoffs. I get that the, the numbers say it's not going to happen, and it probably isn't going to happen. But what I said a couple days ago uh, when I tweeted about this is, you know, the Canucks go a couple days ago and they beat the Dallas Stars. And then they turn around and they lose their next game to the St. Louis Blues. Um, the the road to the playoffs, as as thin and arduous and tough as it is for the Winnipeg Jets for, to get there, it keeps clearing rather than closing. I mean, the Jets win or or lose, you know, uh, that game against Columbus and lose that single point. Uh, they lose tonight, the or you know that that shot that went off the crossbar goes in. They lose here tonight. You're talking about the Jets' chances of making the playoffs essentially being over. We know that they can't lose. But, you know, the fact that there's been some games that, you know, Vancouver has has won and lost, and the one that they won is the perfect time against the Dallas Stars team that needed to lose. Uh, this The Jets keep keeping themselves in this. There, there's We said it last time, there's reason to tune in. 
to the Winnipeg Jets down the stretch here because they're trying to do something impossible uh, or near impossible. And it is not yet impossible because they keep winning like this. And, and I'll say this time again, the big question now going forward that needs to get answered, and this is the one thing I'd love to explore this with Ken when he gets on the show, and I'd love to explore this with you in the chat room and get your thoughts on this. But are the Winnipeg Jets a team that now that this stretch of you know for easier games or easier opponents or below the playoff line opponents, now that that's behind them, the fact that they went to overtime in three of those games, the fact that they got outplayed in, in four of those games or at the very least outshot, depends how you want to look at it. Does that mean that they are ripe for the picking for playoff teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Colorado Avalanche and the, uh, and, and the Los Angeles Kings? Or is this Jets team just a team that has this amazing in-game understanding of what it takes to just get across the line? Because I don't know the answer to that question. One thing I will say is the Jets consistently pulled off results over this stretch of six games that the numbers would suggest they shouldn't have pulled off. And yet somehow they did it. Now, can they raise to that level? Is that just who this team is? They don't give any more effort than they have to? Or are they going to walk in uh, to against a Toronto Maple Leafs team who may play a more superior game? They just knocked off the Boston Bruins. Are they going to play up to their level and just enough to get over the line? Are we going to see you know a 6-5 overtime victory against them? Or are we going to see the Jets fall behind because that's a more superior opponent than what we've been seeing from the Winnipeg Jets lately? Or are we going to see the Winnipeg Jets entirely win up and take it to them the way they did in games against teams like the Tampa Bay Light. I don't know. I want to know what you think, and I definitely want to know what Ken thinks, which is why I'm going to bring him into the show right now. The man with the best music in the industry. Here comes Kenny. Ken, great to see you, my friend. Uh, I asked the question before we hopped on here. T will answer it. I have no <laughs> idea what the hell to think of this team anymore. I'm, I'm squarely where T will is. I don't, I don't know what to expect going forward. I, I, I know what this team is capable of. I think we've seen little stretches where, or, or games here and there, where we know that. I mean, no one should be surprised if the Winnipeg Jets beat the Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow night. We know they've got the players to do it. Clearly, they've got the goaltender to do it. We'll have to talk about Connor Hellebuck because of what he's done in the last little while here. But uh, I ask you that question, and uh, maybe you take issue with my assessment of this, and that's why I say I, I, I think without a doubt the, uh, the Jets were outplayed in three of these six games. I, I, I think one of those games, even though it was closer, I do think that the Buffalo Sabres were the better of the two teams out on the ice tonight. Um, so I don't know if you agree with that assessment, but I think that there's something to be said about where these teams are in the standings. The Jets pulled off every victory except for one, by a one-goal margin, three of them in overtime, they did not separate themselves from these teams. 
But they did when it came to the score. They put themselves, uh, separated themselves on the right side of the ledger at the end of the game when the final whistle blew. What are you seeing from this team and what do you make of them? Yeah, it's certainly interesting, Sean. Uh, there's no doubt that uh, the Jets, <laughs> the, the buzzword of urgency is something we heard a lot, but uh, man, did not see a lot of it in the first period. And, and there have been a couple of suspect first periods lately. So it, it, they are the great mystery, right? The Jets are the great paradox, uh, you know. When you think they're down and out in Beverly Hills, they find a way to pull it out. Uh, when you think they're about to turn the corner, they stub their toe. I mean, uh, they have been very confounding. And if, if just imagine, we understand what it's like for fans and people trying to assess. Imagine what it's like for the coaching staff trying to assess, right? I mean, uh, that's a big issue for them. I mean, it's very odd. But have they found a way to get it done? Hey, 11, 4, and 1. I mean, that that is what they need i mean they're they don't draw as we like to say in the old golf course you don't draw pictures on the scorecard having said that the jets know they have to be so much better when they play high level teams but sean that's the other confusing thing about the jets they have played down to the level of their competition that's true but they've also raised their level against teams like yeah st louis uh even Boston, I mean, the result's not necessarily there, but they played them tough. Pittsburgh, I mean, it, it, that's the confusing part about the Jets. And, hey, the game against Toronto, yeah, we get it. I mean, that was a back-to-back for the Leafs. They played their backup. That's all true. But the Jets played very well in that game. So, uh, And that's the other part, too, that we should recall. I mean, yeah, the Sabres are 12th in the East, but they just went on a – they're still, what, 6-1-3 six, six, run in their last 10 They've lost. They've lost one time in regulation, so it, it's not the same kind of uh, doormat type of um, idea or situation um, that that we were expecting from the Buffalo Sabers. Donnie Granado's got his team playing really well, and and they showed yeah. that against the Jets yeah. here tonight. Uh, and, and again, what did we see from the Jets uh, that fed the transition game? Poor puck management. Surprise. I mean, <laughs> this has been a common common thread for the Winnipeg Jets. That's a great way to put it, uh, Julie. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, but they found a way to get it done. I mean, even survived even survived a penalty in overtime and a interesting penalty at that. And I'm sure Dubois is disappointed uh, because he thought that he got you know interfered with uh, by uh, by the Sabres D man when he had his own breakaway. But I actually thought it was a pretty good uh, pretty good defensive play. I didn't really see there being a penalty on that one either. But anyways, fun game. Uh, poor first period. Again, no one's saying that that is, that is not the Jets' template. They were very poor in the first period, but they found a way to rebound, and that's sort of what they've been doing a lot. So nicely done, Lynette. Appreciate the support. Um, yeah, let's 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 dig into it a little deeper. Yeah, well, so let's go straight to Hellebuck because I, I take a look at this, and I know someone asked right off the bat uh, whether or not he's going to be playing tomorrow. Uh, I'll dive right into that question right off the bat, and I think I think the answer is absolutely yes at this stage. I, I've been, if you've been watching this podcast, you know how I feel about Eric Comrie. I don't think they've gone to him enough. I don't think they've got, given him enough of a chance to affect this season. I think we wouldn't be talking about the Winnipeg Jets being a potential long shot playoff team if it wasn't for the way that he's played. But what I saw tonight, again, was the big 
boring, calm Connor Hellebuck that comes into a game, uh, looks entirely unbothered the entire time, and walks in and steals a game. And I think, uh, you know, this is, I mean, this is typical of the Winnipeg Jets. Like, how many times this year, Ken, have the Jets been by far the worst of the two teams in the first period of the game and and come out of that period only down one nothing or sometimes up one nothing. I mean Vegas was an example where they were they were just destroyed in that first period and came away with the lead. Uh, how often do the Jets get absolutely worked and destroyed in the first period and and then turn around and uh, and turn around and win the game? Like it's almost like I saw this game tonight. I saw the way that it played out and I thought to myself, okay, well the Jets are winning this game, right? Because this is what they do when they start pouring things on. I got you got to give them credit that they turn things up over the second and the third period, but this was Connor Hellebuck's game. And it's interesting because in the shootout he ends up allowing two goals and I had tweeted there's no way Connor Hellebuck is losing this game. And I I, I do believe when it came down to it if the Sabres were you know had the chance to shoot first, he wasn't going to allow them to get the first the first goal in that situation, but my God, tonight was just one of those nights that I thought Connor Hellebuck absolutely threw the Jets on his shoulders, was calm from the beginning of the game till the end of the game. Uh, that This this is, uh, I, I mean, I talked about the Jets, and, and I again, I truly believe this. The Jets were the f- second best team in four of these last six games, um, and yet they come away with, you know, 10 of 12 points, four of those points. Four of those points you can put directly into the pocket of Connor Hellebuck. Connor Hellebuck won them two games out of these six games. If he doesn't show up the way he does, if he is a fraction worse in those games than than he was, we're talking about the Jets dropping four uh, of these points and then walking away from this and only getting six of 12 points and being in disaster territory, being in one more loss territory, uh, which is an extremely tough place to be with the stretch coming down here. But Connor Hellebuck is the Connor Hellebuck of old. He's, He's saying, throw it on my shoulders, let's get this done. I don't know how you go away from him when you see him playing like that. Yeah, no doubt. And that's kind of was my position when we talked about it, I think, on Friday there. Uh, a quick one uh, before we get to team Sorry. up in the buffet. Oh, there you go. You got your new there, There's the here. one-eyed cat. There's the new All one-eyed right, cat here. Nice. This is okay. Peaches, the one-eyed cat. I, I'm just going to tell the story really quickly. 2019, <laughs> I went to my uh, uh, daughter's birthday. Um, I love animals. We always had animals when we were growing up. I married my wife. I thought no one loved animals in this world more than I did. I was wrong. My wife is a nut bar. We would have like 17 animals if it wasn't uh, for me applying the brakes. I've been pretty good at applying the brakes. 2019, my daughter wanted to have her birthday at the Humane Society. We did it. We haven't been back since then. And they suckered me into going there just to look at some animals. And sure enough, we walk out a couple hours later with a, a, a one-eyed cat to now have three cats and two dogs. So, Ken, if I ever, if you ever hear of me saying I'm stopping at the Humane Society, even if I'm, you know, running an errand for someone, don't let me take my wife or kids there because I, I'm I'm broke with, with cat and dog food in this house. Sorry. Uh, move on with your... It's okay. Quick one. Uh, send uh, Sammy the scarf the link. He may join us. He's on. Oh, Sammy's going to come in. Uh, All right. Perfect. In, in about 20 minutes or so. But uh, Perfect. Yes. Yes. They we're, we're answering Kenny off the top rope. We're going to do our best. Uh, we're working on it. Yeah. Hellbuck was fantastic. And this is kind of why I was leading this way. I know we were just debating this. I think maybe it was on Sunday. Uh, 
I just think that Connor is rested and he's ready to roll. So I think the Jets will roll with Hellebuck. They have a stretch. Of the, they just got him a break. Uh, he's going to have a break on Sunday. You know when they don't play the you know the Jets don't play until Wednesday uh, next week after they finish the stretch of games. I think he looked fresh. He made a joke about chicken wings waiting for him uh, in the dressing room after the game tonight. And to me, uh, I think they roll with Hellebuck in that marquee matchup with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, we should get into it. Some folks asking, obviously, Kyle Connor and Nate Schmidt unavailable after landing in the COVID protocol. Uh, they will not be eligible to play until Wednesday. At least that's my understanding. It's a five-day quarantine. I know some folks are wondering maybe uh, maybe they could drive across the border like Adam Lowry did. That that provision is for Canadian citizens. Those guys are both American citizens. They need to spend the five days in the States. I know that after April 1st, you wouldn't have to test, but uh, I don't think uh, you don't get to a fast forward after this is under a, re a retroactive type of situation. Doug, I don't agree with you. I know you said this the other day in the chat room, and I understand what you're saying, Doug, but he doesn't need a mental break. He is sharp. He's barely been on the ice other than the games that he has been starting. The Jets have that they practice. Sean, we were there. They practiced for like 12 minutes the other day. So um, Connor has been able to manage his body and his um, mo emotional level, his mental fatigue, any of those things that could slip in. I don't see any of those things in his game. He was sharp. He will be sharp tomorrow. And the Jets need him to be sharp because the Leafs, uh, we know the Leafs didn't like their effort in Winnipeg on December 5th. We know there is some... Um, potential again I know it's natural for us in the media to wonder man is there any residue left from that game uh, is there going to be uh, you know crazy retribution being sought uh, you know PLD uh, you know riding riding Austin Matthews into a coincidental minor uh, you know Jason Spezza knee to the head of Neil Pionk Neil Pionk knee on knee with Rasmus Sandin I mean those things are in the memory bank but the Leafs are battling for position Sean in the Atlantic Division, and the Jets are mm -hmm. are trying to keep their season alive. So, I don't see this being a uh, you know. We know last year there was tons of intensity. They played ten times last year. They played twice this year. You can uh, you know you can put any of the grudges on the back burner. Both of these teams have other priorities, and I don't expect. I do expect an intense game. I don't expect uh, people to be looking for to settle any scores tomorrow night. But I do expect well, been... between the pipes. They be they better not if you are, and I'll say this, uh, you better not if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs. What I've seen from the Winnipeg Jets this year is when they go about trying to settle scores, they seem to have a really good balance. This is one of the things I don't think we talk about enough with this team. Um, in the old school idea of hockey, where it was like, you know, this guy gets a hit, he's going to pay the price. We don't see that as much anymore, but we see it here and there. And we saw a little bit of it. This is why we're talking about this. We saw this a little bit between they and the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. We saw a little bit of it against the, between the Jets and the Montreal Canadiens. The Jets seem to do a really good job of taking care of business first and taking care of the peripheral stuff second. Or if they take care of the peripheral stuff in game, they don't get out of control with it. And they'll they'll try and leave the for you know it getting out of control to the end of the game. Kind of like Josh Morrissey leveling his slashes right at the end of the game when the game's supposed to be out of reach, right? That kind of mindset. But um the Toronto Maple Leafs took themselves out of the last game against the Winnipeg Jets by getting far too wound up. If they, if there is a repeat of that, especially with what we just saw them go through in their last game between Boston, I mean, that was, that was a rough, angry game, right? That they needed 
to figure out how to get through it. And they're going to have to figure out how to get through just in case they play that team in, in the playoffs. And boy, oh boy, Ken, does anyone think, you know, no matter what happens, it seems like the Leafs can't avoid that Boston Bruins uh, first round <laughs> matchup. So it feels like it's going to happen anyway. But you are entirely right. Every point matters at this stage for the Toronto Maple Leafs, the same as every point matters right now for the Winnipeg Jets. I do expect Pierre-Luc Dubois to do his thing, which is which I do think gives the – I mean, this is an oh, advantage I, for the Jets going into this game, right? Because Pierre-Luc Dubois' default is doing that. You saw him do it tonight. He does it every night. His default is to get into people's kitchens, cause problems. Maybe he takes a penalty here, takes a penalty there, but he plays his best when he plays with that edge. Well, the last time they played the Toronto Maple Leafs, that's what got Toronto so mad was him going off on on Austin yeah. Matthews. And, and and listen, I'll say this, Ken, when we think about the, you know, since we're talking about the Buffalo Sabres here tonight, the cross check by Austin Matthews on Dolan that got him suspended. Is there not a part of you that thinks there's some effect from earlier in the season of him getting thrown around by Pierre-Luc Dubois and standing there and trying not to do anything about it and getting a penalty anyways and going to the box? And then later on, Rasmus Dahlin starts doing the same thing. I don't know how many other games Toronto played where that happened, where Austin Matthews just got to the stage where he's like, why am I sitting back and taking this and getting penalties anyways? I'm going to go back after these guys. I saw a guy who had Pierre-Luc Dubois firmly planted in the back of his brain when he cross-checked Rasmus Dahlin because he thought all of these guys think they can get away with it and they can't. So I do think the Jets go into this game with a little bit of an advantage because Pierre-Luc Dubois just plays like that. So he's going to get into a corner at some point with Austin Matthews and he's going to do something and Austin Matthews is kind of going to push back and the instinct of the Toronto Maple Leafs is maybe going to be to protect their star. What they're going to learn need to do is protect them in a way where they're not trying to throw, you know, drop the gloves and then get caught with no dance partner and get sent to the box. Uh, or have Austin Matthews stand up and fight through this and realize until he learns how to fight through that kind of, of, of checking and, and assault that they're not going to get anywhere in the playoffs. Because this is the same Pierre-Luc Dubois that entirely shut him down in the playoffs when he was with Columbus a couple of years back. So to me, this is a very interesting game and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm almost more interested in watching how, as much as we watch the Jets, I'm almost more interested in watching how the Leafs react to this because there's, there is potential for growth in this Leafs team who are going to the playoffs undoubtedly. And there's things they can learn from this game, but I also think that the Jets could just as easily have this team fall apart in a, in a, in a fashion, and 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 I'm 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 up for it. I can't wait to see this. I'm excited for this game. I think you know this is one of those things where I said I've said it before. I'll say it again. The Jets kind of took the first period off tonight. They didn't throw their best that I've seen them play in the second or third period. They still pull out this victory. So yeah, they're playing back to back nights, but it's not a ton of travel, and it seemed like they conserved some energy here tonight. So. I think we're, you know, ring the bell. Let's get at this. I think it's going to be a really interesting game tomorrow night. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, before we dig more into the Leafs, let's get into Billy Hanel. I thought another steady effort for him. On the before we game. do that, Ken, let's oh, sorry, let's yeah. uh, let's do our, our stuff with the uh, um, one thing I wanted to say. I just wanted to give a shout out to my buddy Dwighty, who you've told me uh, or you've heard me talking about this. Uh, on on our show, he took the Eastman AAA team to top ten in the country 
Um, and they went into the playoffs. There was two other teams, Manitoba teams, top 10 in the country. That would be Brandon and the Winnipeg Wild. They squared up in the second round against the Winnipeg Wild and lost that series. So my buddy Dwighty, who loves hockey, everything about it, he's got a couple boys who play. He can go back to that. But he's a carpenter, so if you're out in the Lactabani area and you need a carpenter, he's a great guy, runs a small business. He's the exact kind of guy, Ken, that our boys at the Johnston Group are targeting with the work that they do. Um, Johnston Group, uh, you won't find two businesses with the same challenges, but you will find 30,000 businesses with Chambers Plan employee benefits through the Johnston Group, proudly administered by our friends at the Johnston Group. And the Chambers Plan is Canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live. The plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses and its unique pooling strategy keeps rates stable so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal and boy oh boy with uh with inflation everything like that we're all sick of surprises no doubt chambers plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial legal and hr issues and teledoc telemedicine services are included with every health option see how chambers plan could benefit your business by visiting chamberplan.ca and uh i gotta say ken i think there's probably a lot of people in our chat room who are uh, small businesses. Th these are the guys you want to talk to if you want to provide your employees with great bit of benefits and great plans. And they're phenomenal people to work with. We know that Kenny gets beat by Maddie Johnson in golf all the time. He doesn't even get mad at him. He doesn't throw it, you know, doesn't sulk or go home. One of us was a professional. Just, so I, I, there you go. I, there I, you go. I hope Let's he's, say. I hope he's beating me. Yeah, there you go. But uh, great guy, phenomenal guy. Uh, give them a call if you're if that's what you're looking for. Well, you want to move on to Billy Hanlon? Let's go in that. Uh, let's go in that direction. Yeah, again, obviously with Schmidt being out, um, it was an interesting opportunity for Hanlon to move up and play a little bit more. Uh, right with the, moving up to play with Neil Pionk, you saw Billy Hanlon play 20 minutes and 55 seconds. Uh, he did get some power play time on that one uh, second unit power play with Schmidt out there as well. He chipped in an assist, three shots on goal, a hit, uh, one giveaway, one takeaway. I, I just thought it was another really important step forward for Vili Hanela to continue to help solidify his opportunity or chances to stay in the lineup. Uh, I thought he was really excellent. Uh, again, one th again, <laughs> we understand this is it always seems like I would like to. I think that Vili would have been good to use in overtime. At some point, but again, the two-minute penalty kind of maybe maybe yeah. impacted that as well. And I just think that because he's got that open ice ability, uh, I think he's improving on the defensive side. I mean, the the, <laughs> the overtime was a bit of a bit of a circus. You had the great chance by Dubois rattling off the post and the Thompson breakaway. I mean, it was pretty wide open. But um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't perfect for Hanel. I'm not saying that to begin with, but uh, oh, I don't I don't agree with that, Doug. At all, he's not afraid to be hit. He's just trying to be shifty. I mean, he's, he's not afraid to make take a hit to make the play. But again, nobody likes to get hit. So I think it's natural. It's not, he's not alone in that. I mean, Josh Morrissey and Neil Pionk don't like getting hit either. So uh, I liked yeah. a lot about his game. Uh, I thought there, you know, there were some times in the game that Logan Stanley had some issues, but on the penalty kill, he was fantastic, especially in overtime. He had an important block. Uh, his clears were very impressive today. And, you know, I think it was important for him to come back in the lineup and play with some confidence. I think being on the penalty kill would have helped his confidence. But, um, yeah, I mean, we know that Logan Stanley got into it with Wayne Simmons the last time these two teams went at it. I, I don't see that being a, a factor at all tomorrow. Uh, I do think that Pierre-Luc Dubois will try to get under the skin of his opponent, uh, much like Brad Larson said uh, on Friday when Columbus was back through town. But, uh, yeah, I mean... It, 
interesting game overall. What did you think of the way the defense played with the new pairings? Um, I, I think that Hanla has, has kind of shown everything that he's needed to show down the stretch here. I mean, th- this time that he came in, I think the challenge of him not playing the way he had uh, was a big one. It was a tall one. So had he not played and responded the way that he has, we would have had a built-in excuse, right? And and it would have been a legitimate one. Like if he was struggling right now, we'd say, look, it's t- tough to sit out, you know, at this point of the season everything's getting torqued up a little bit everyone's playing better and better and better hockey right so to sit out and jump back into it we know what sitting out a, a, a little bit of time did for Pierre-Luc Dubois last year it ruined his season with with all the stuff that happened with him so and, and Billy Hanlon made a really good point the other day Ken about the fact that they're not practicing right so he's not getting out and and working pucks and getting on the ice like crazy he's kind of following a team around that is only playing games but had been playing games so this was a really tough stretch for him he's done everything that we would have asked him to or needed him to do to sit to, to have him show that he's ready for that next step and maybe he was ready before this and a lot of people were argue will argue that he was better before this and that he learned everything he needed to learn in the ahl fact of the matter is and it's interesting where people were talking about uh you know laval's in town and sammy niku returned and it makes you forget like sammy niku's that year that he had where he was the best defenseman in in the AHL, how many years ago was that, right? Well, there's still got to be that transfer from that league into the next league. And so, yeah, you'd seen a lot from Billy Hanla, but you'd also seen him be fairly mistake prone uh, at the NHL level. Um, and I'm not seeing that as much anymore. There was one time tonight he tried to pitch a guy off at the boards and, uh, uh, and the guy uh, went – outside in on him and got past him the jets had some really good coverage uh once once that player did get into the middle but i take a look at billy hanla and i think this right now towards the end of the season here there's a lot of people who have been saying tear it down play your young kids um and there's value in that and i understand people saying that well this is a situation in which the jets haven't torn it down but they're getting an opportunity to play the young kids and this i think is really serving Vili hanela well down the stretch we may look at this time at a later date and say that was the moment that Vili hanela locked in in his head and in the coaches minds and in you know the nhl players minds that Vili hanela is has arrived as an is an nhl player um and you got to think behind the scenes too. I mean, that that press conference that we had with Billy Hanla and Nate Schmidt, and Nate Schmidt, just the way that he handled that, uh, someone had tweeted about it. But the idea of everything he said was so eloquently said to the media, but it was said through this lens that he might as well have just turned and been talking to Billy Hanla beside him and giving him a pep talk, right? Like the geez, he's 21 years old. I was 24 by the time I was a regular in this league and all the kind of things that he was saying, like all these little messages that he said to us and articulated really well that, that are truthful because he's, he's saying this is his truth as he under understands it. But all of it was just like a pep talk for the young guy beside him. And I thought that's the value in players that uh, like Nate Schmidt, that people don't talk about when he came in, to this team last season this is what you get with young guys like like the stanimal and and Hanla is you get a guy like that who's kind of like 
the rookie whisperer in your ear. And, you know, Statsny has been that in the past. To have a couple of those guys on that team, it's it's not something that every team has. So uh, good on Billy Hanlon for taking advantage of that. Good on players like Nate Schmidt, and I would guess Brendan Dillon is right there beside him, and Josh Morrissey, in, in bringing him along and helping him out. This really bodes well for the future for the Winnipeg Jets, this tryout that, uh, that Billy Hanlon is getting. Yeah, no doubt about it. And yeah, I mean, I, I loved what I heard from Nate Schmidt. And you're right. I mean, he was talking to the media, but, you know, he said some of those things. To, I also love the way that Hanela absorbed some of those words. I, I love the way that he handled himself at the podium. He didn't run away from the frustration, but he also wasn't sitting there, you know, pouting about it either. I mean, he knows the road through. The, the only way the only way forward is through for Vili Hainala. I mean, this hasn't been easy. No one is suggesting that it is. But that's a subtle, not so subtle reminder from Nate Schmidt. Like when he gives him the, how old are you? You, you just turned 21. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was still in college at that age. So, you know, for all the people, uh, you know, I said this earlier on Jim Toth, I said, or with Kelly, I said, for all the people clamoring saying that Vili Hainala should be rapping on the door of Kevin Chevalier's office demanding to be traded, that's where the wake up shows up. Most guys, some guys aren't even in the league at that age yet, so it takes a little bit. Uh, it, it takes a little bit more time uh, than that on occasion. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, but I love the way that he handled it. I love the way he spoke. I love the way that Nate Schmidt smoked. That was that was such a mentorship kind of moment. Uh, I, I loved everything that I heard. And again, good on Halo to stack those games. Without Nate Schmidt, they're going to need to continue to have him playing. I mean, and you talked about Paul Stastny. He's been a perfect guy for Cole Perfetti to be around. I mean, yeah. that, that that's exactly what same kind of situation, except at forward. So uh, I thought that, that those are those are critical pieces. And um, you know, there's not a lot of things about the spreadsheet. Uh, some things the spreadsheet can't monitor. I mean, I'm not I'm not down on analytics at all. I think they can they have a lot of value, but there, there are some immeasurables still around the game, and that those are that's one of them. And we saw it on display yesterday. Um. You know what? Uh, it's been called for, Ken. This has got to happen. Wrench Doozer says we're nearing headband time. Wrench Doozer is entirely right. Let's turn this into a Sean's headband version of the Kenny and Randy show. You know, Kenny, I think we ran into this last time with Sammy. I, I think he's yeah. wanted that, uh, that, that, uh, us to be texting him that link. So I just texted no, him that. I emailed he, him he, he quite some time me. ago. He, he I was wondering where he was. Sorry, he's it, got uh, some things to take care of on the home front. Yeah, he sends okay. his apologies and his regards to the uh, folks that are looking forward to it. We're going to try another night when he maybe he's not so, on, the, on. So the I know people are going to be happy home. with it. I, I know people like their clothing. You're going to have to settle for just a headband, not a headband and a scarf on this night, everybody. Um, I wanted to get into Zach Stanford. Sure. Uh, right oh, there we go. There we go. Um, Sanford in OT. I thought Sanford was given a lot of opportunity here tonight. Now, this is, I'm going to throw a little bit of a theory at you here, Ken. I, you know what? This is funny. Ken and I were talking about this the other day. When we first started this show, I used to like to throw a lot of, like, you know, some would call them way out there theories until they started coming true and being right. But uh, I'm going to throw out a theory here to something that I've seen in the past. I think 
you know, with a player like Andrew Kopp was a prime example of this. Over the years that players, uh, you know, were, couldn't necessarily be paid, you know, what they, they should be paid. Like, I think we all think Andrew Kopp was underpaid for a number of years. Lowry was underpaid for a number of years. Eventually, it's cost the Jets with Andrew Kopp. But I, I've said this before. Paul Maurice, I thought, always did a really good job of paying those players with opportunity. So Andrew Kopp goes from being, you know, a, a guy that most teams just would have treated like a defensive third-line player, you know, maybe give him some center time. And all of a sudden, here you go. We're giving you opportunities as a second-line center. And here we are giving you opportunities as a first line winger and all of a sudden he's putting points up on the boards and all of a sudden we're writing stories and talking about how Andrew Kopp is a more offensive player than anyone could have ever dreamed of him being and I always thought that there's different ways to keep people happy sometimes it's just give them the contract that they want sometimes it's give them the opportunity what they want sometimes it's to play them with the players that they like to play with however it works I have always thought that under Paul Maurice he did a real good job of the psychological side of the game of finding out what motivates players. Now, I wonder how much of that is him, but I wonder how much of that is also a plan by Kevin Sheveldayoff, because I'm going to give you my theory. Zach Sanford gets given the opportunities that he was given tonight, gets moved, bumped up in the lineup, gets given overtime opportunities. Now, that probably has everything to do with the fact of the line that he's playing on. But based on how he started here, the Jets either see something in, the, in him that, you know, other scouts in the past maybe haven't seen from him or, or, or that there's, you know, ability there that the Jets think that they can glean out or that, you know, Sanford, who's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Um, I think the Jets want to keep him around. And so I think what you saw tonight was a little bit of the sneak peek of the Jets saying to him, we believe in you. We think that you could be something here. So it, it, so there's opportunity for you here. So just remember this. When it comes down to negotiating your contract in the offseason, remember that we threw you in on three-on-three in overtime and that we tried you out with guys like Pierre-Luc Dubois. Maybe that stuff will happen in the future. And maybe if you stick around here, that will be your future, playing with Pierre-Luc Dubois or Kyle Connor or Blake Wheeler or however that works. And then maybe, just maybe, a team that's going to be a little bit cash-crunched Come, come unrestricted free agent season, maybe just maybe you can get a player like that to not sign as much, leave a little bit of money on the table to stick around for opportunity. Now, Dave Lowry, maybe he's picked up those tricks from, from Paul Maurice, or maybe this is a Kevin Shovel day off thing where he calls his coach into his office and says, you know, if we could do something here and there with these guys to make my negotiations a little easier, that would be helpful. Do you think that's happening? Because I think it is. Yeah, I'm not. I appreciate the uh, the uh, circuitous route to get to the connecting of the dots, Sean. There's there's mm-hmm. no doubt I can appreciate uh, the sewing abilities on that. But to me, I mean, Dave Lowry needs the second point, so he's not worried about uh, you know in the summertime negotiations. Does it help? Is it a, is it a nice byproduct? Yes. Uh, I think that he liked that line all night, which is why, and he knows he's had success with three forwards. Uh, and tonight, I don't think that the line, you know, we know that Shifley and Ehlers weren't working well together. They didn't even finish the game together. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the most stable of the three lines in a lot of regards. I mean, outside of, I mean, you could argue that the most stable line was probably Lowry, Appleton, and Ehlers. Uh, but, I mean, I think it was a nice, tidy benefit. I mean, I think that maybe, you know, the, the having him start in the second power play, I mean, that part of that maybe works into it. But 
I think this is just one of those, you know, again, things yeah, so, people so, might like. This is a gut feeling. I mean, Dave Lowry said it after the game. His plan was just to roll one shift with those guys and then have Svechnikov jump back out. But I, I have, my other theory is this. I think Zach Sanford skates better than Yevgeny Svechnikov, and that's why he wanted a guy that could skate. And, you know, again, Svechnikov's done some nice things along the boards and all those things with Dubois at times, but I think he wanted a little bit more speed on that line and a guy that... Um, is also hard on the puck. We've noticed that about him. I mean, did he have a lot of finish tonight? No, but he had a couple of great gold, golden chances. And the one time he went to the backhand, uh, you know, in overtime, I think it kind of rolled off his stick. So um, I, I've liked Sanford's game since he's arrived. I mean, he's got good, I mean, again, good hands haven't translated into immediate goals, but I think there's been a lot to like there. And I understand, again, a lot of the Svechnikov uh, folks are up in arms, but I, I continue to like Svechnikov's game. But tonight was another great example. He had a couple pucks put on a tee. Sean, we've seen it all year long. Those are barred down in practice. That just for whatever reason, and again, this is not a knock on him. He's still getting the scoring chances. So he's getting the chances, but instead of going barred down, he's not hitting them right on the money, and they're, they're saves instead of goals. I mean, I'm encouraged that he's getting the chances, and I think it's only a matter of time before Svechnikov gets going and becomes a double-digit goal scorer. Uh, but right now, I just think that Dave Lowry thinks that he gave him a, you know, a it was a better fit in terms of um, what he wanted from that position. And then the other thing too, Sveshnikov has been more effective on the right side versus the left. So I think he just was a little bit more of a better fit, but I mean, I can connect the dots the same way you did. I mean, when Drew Stafford came out, Drew Stafford was a more established player than Zach Sanford is in terms of maybe being a 20 goal scorer. But I mean, that was the other part. Drew Stafford was given every opportunity to play in the Jets top six. And that was part of the reason why he re-signed with the Jets. So uh, I'm with you to a degree, but I don't think it went as deep as as what you're suggesting. So uh, we'll give you I'll give you a half point on it. Half point. <laughs> <laughs> I reject your point system, Ken. How about that? Okay. Um, I'll I'll give you a full point for bringing up the Sanford Svechnikov comparison because I do think it's an interesting one because I I do I do think it, it I've I've been thinking about this. If you're going into the off season, you're thinking, okay, do they want to? Uh, I know that Svechnikov is a restricted free agent, so they've got a little bit more control there. Yeah. Um, so, so it's not a, a direct comparison, <laughs> but I am interested in the way that you know they've utilized those two players. Um, in, in that Sanford, I, I, I do feel is is one of these. Look, look he he's the new um, he's the new Christian Veselainen. He's been given every opportunity, but this team wants him to succeed. They they want him to work out in a way so he looks to be given every opportunity possible to make that work down the stretch here. And I know you're saying that about uh, about the two points. I, I, I would think, though, that there's still, because of the fact that the Jets remain long shots, I don't think it is so crazy crucial that you do this and you feel like you make that one mistake and everything falls apart here for the Jets because clearly the team isn't playing that way. They didn't come out in the first period like they, you know, we, we can't have an off period here. Geez, they've had tons of off periods over the last little while. So this isn't a team that's playing as though they're on the razor's edge. Um, so I, I don't know that you definitely see uh, uh, Coach Lowry coaching as though they're on the razor's edge. The one other thing that I think is important to pull out that you kind of jogged my memory with is Sanford goes on that second power play ahead of Adam Lowry. And I asked Dave about it the other day. I, I, I find it fascinating that that decision has been made. And I wonder if Adam 
who has earned all kinds of opportunities for himself, who on that second line has done a good job on that power play this year, who's been a wrecking ball and phenomenal and given the Jets everything they could have possibly asked for shorthanded. It did seem strange that he was the guy they went to to take off that second power play to get uh, Stanford on it. Well, I think I, he went in to replace Lowry when he was on COVID protocol. Right. I mean, he stayed there, though, since, I mean, which is your point, which is well. Exactly. Um, I mean, again, it's still like, and he also said it's a competition. So, I mean, the other thing, too, is that Dave is also, they've, they've been leaning more heavily on their penalty killers. So I think it's more of a, I mean, we saw it with Cop and we saw it with Kyle Connor and we saw it with Lowry. I mean, playing on both special teams is taxing when you're playing that many minutes. So I think it probably has more to do with the reduction of those. I mean, again, those aren't as heavy minutes, but they are for Lowry because he's jostling for position in front all the time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly, like I said, I'm not, I'm not being dismissive of your theory, but uh, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sold on it yet. Sure feels like it can. Um, <laughs> hey, Mark, Mark, I'm not saying that they don't, it's not like they want players on their team to fail. That's not what I'm saying. But one thing that we've said on this show time and time again is that Christian Veselainen was given far more opportunity than a lot of other players were and a lot of opportunity that he really didn't do anything with until the point that he's played himself out of the NHL into the AHL at this stage. My point was I think that the Jets had a vision for what they wanted Christian Veselainen to be and tried and tried and tried and tried to make that, to fulfill that vision, and it just didn't happen. So the comparison and the reason I make the comparison is I'm saying that I see them doing the same thing right now with Zach Sanford. I think the Jets have an idea of what they would, they think that he's, it's possible for him to become and they're giving him those opportunities for him to try and become that and the one thing I do think is if he starts showing in this little tryout that he has with the Winnipeg Jets here that he can become those things this is a guy that was with a Stanley Cup winning team and they chose to move on from a really young player you got to think of the psychology of a player who's been on a winning team who's won it all and a team decides to give up on a younger player uh, it's, it's tricky when that happens right it's a little more direct uh, Ottawa lets him go because he's going to be a UFA probably not re-signed there so they're just trying to get something back for him but I still do think Zach Sanford is in a place in his career where he hasn't maybe found his home or found that role that fits that he feels like okay I've locked it and I know what I need to do as an NHLer now and I really do think the Jets are taking a hard stab at trying to provide that for him so that he feels like when I was in Winnipeg I locked it in and it feels good to be locked in and maybe I'd rather take you know 500,000 a year or a million a year less to stay someplace where I get to feel that feeling of being locked in, which I probably have never really felt before. Um, you know, as opposed to going somewhere else where I may get paid more money, but have a hard time figuring it out all over again and then get moved and get bounced around to other teams. There's something to be said for stability and job satisfaction. And, and can, when we say that, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois you are the first one in, in the market here to say you think Pierre-Luc Dubois is locking down. I was a little skeptical when you said it at first, but I think exactly what we're talking about here right now, finding that role, feeling that feeling of fitting in and having a purpose and having that job satisfaction. I do think you're right about Pierre-Luc Dubois, and I think you're right because I think that Pierre-Luc Dubois feels exactly what we're talking about, and it's a good feeling, and you want more of it. It's better to be someplace and relevant and working and contributing the way 
you feel you can best do it than making a little bit more somewhere else where it's a, a, a garbage fire and you're trying to get traded out of town and go someplace else, hoping that ho- hoping that you can find the right situation. Yeah, I'll give you a full point for that part of it, Sean. No doubt about it. And I will take a step. I'll Stop take giving a... me points. I don't want your points. <laughs> I'll take it a step further, Sean. What have we talked all year about? The Jets had no identity on their third line. What have they done? They've brought back Mason Appleton, one-third of the identity of the third line. Right. And they found a guy in Zach Sanford that he's nice job to fill in when Kyle Connor is out of the lineup. But... If you're Kevin Chevaldeoff, you think if you can sign Zach Sanford for around $2 million, now your third line is set for the for at least a couple of seasons here. So uh, I would think that that is, there's more to do with the two. But I mean, again, you can ingratiate yourself with a player by playing him up the lineup when opportunities present themselves, for sure. I'll say this because I know people are questioning this. All, both Ken and I covered that Blues team that went on to win the Cubs. Zach Sanford was a player I remember looking at and saying, okay, this guy could have a future in this league. But he was definitely treated as a spare part that was used here and there with that Blues team. He definitely did not come across as, you know, guys like Barbash have uh, definitely played more of a role on that team. And Robert Thomas clearly Sunquist, played. Sunquist even in that playoff. Sunquist exactly. Sunquist. So, so while Sanford was there, this this was like my point is he may have been on a team that won it all, and they may have used him in a way where when they called him, they brought him in, and, and he did what his job was. But his role was extremely limited on that team. The Jets. May, what you may be seeing right now is Zach Sanford feeling as though he's being given the biggest opportunity he's ever had in his career in this moment with the Winnipeg Jets. Maybe a bigger role was offered in Ottawa, but on a team that couldn't seem to put anything together. So it's it's nice to play a, a meaningful role on a team that you believe can get somewhere. Maybe Ottawa wasn't that team is the point that I'm trying to make. Um, no, right I want on. to move he, on. Sorry, he played eight games for the Blues that playoff. But, I mean, we should also give him the credit. I mean, he scored a goal in game seven of the Stanley Cup final. So, I mean, when he did get his opportunity, he took advantage as well. Yes. Um, and, yes. Let, let's stay, was... One quick one. Let's stay on on, uh, on Appleton for a second. I thought this was his best okay. of the games with the Jets, didn't you? I yeah. I, best game I, I remember thinking when he came back here um, – that he 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 didn't. I was wondering if he was going to walk right back into that role. That that it was going to be like he'd never left, and it wasn't. That's not what it looked like. And I guess the first game that he played, he didn't have Lowry there. So you know, Lowry being back is going to. It's taken him a couple of games, I think. But now it's starting to look more and more like exactly what we expect from Mason Appleton. And the thing about Appleton's role with the Winnipeg Jets, and I don't say this to sound, I'm not taken away from his role. It's a very very simple role that they give him. Sk- hard pressure the puck if you if if someone's got the puck drive hard to the far post uh if you've got the puck and no one else is around drop your shoulder and drive to the net if you get opportunities fire them on net which is exactly what he did tonight thought it was a bad goal on craig anderson i thought he should have had that one clearly craig anderson i mean it's something we haven't talked about but allowing all three breakaway goals allowing that uh that uh goal from mason appleton i didn't think was the greatest shot um you know, the, the if if Buffalo uh, was the better team and deserved a better fate, it's it's Craig Anderson tonight who robbed him of that fate, uh, or robbed them of that fate. But to get back to Mason Appleton, this is what Mason Appleton is supposed to look like. So you're right, he's he's back pushing. Uh, that's what you would expect from him. It's you know, 
maybe just maybe everything is rounding into place at the right time for the Winnipeg Jets. And one thing that, you know, I, I, you know, I know I said this, I know I said the Jets, I, I still do believe that the Jets were the second best team on the ice here tonight. But one thing that I didn't talk about was the fact that, you know, you lose a top four defenseman, you lose your leading point producer and goal scorer and the Jets found a way to win right now the Jets seem to always find a way to win in these situations it's what they do uh, or have been doing as of late which I think reminds me more of teams in years past I get that they're out of the playoffs right now so they haven't found a way to get that done uh, in the past they've been on the wrong side of those tight games but um, but you got to give them credit Kyle Connor wasn't there tonight people pointed it out the team looks vastly different in overtime without him on the ice uh their their penalty kill i thought looks vastly different um he's a dangerous dangerous guy out there on the penalty kill um the way that he pushes the puck up the ice i think there's a that you know he's he's so good at seeing when his team gets gets the puck and and flying the zone and because he's so good you can't you have to follow him because if the puck ever gets behind you to him you know he's going to score, so I think he does a, a good job of stretching defenses. So it, it was, you know, it was easier to defend the Jets tonight because he wasn't in. They get the job done without Kyle Connor in the lineup and Nate Schmidt. That's really good. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Sorry, just one. The answer for Grant is is one. He scored sixteen in his best year with the Blues the year after. No, you're bang on on all those things, Sean. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to talk about this uh, because I know that some people had thoughts about this. I want to get your thoughts on it. John Phoenix is happy for the Jets victory. This is the John Phoenix made this comment a long time ago. Side note, Wheeler's shootout goal is the reason why I do not like the shootout. What did you think of Wheeler's shootout goal? Great hands. Uh, I mean, he didn't fully stop. He kept moving. I mean, I understand it's tough for the goalie when there, he did definitely use the front edge of the snow plow, uh, but he didn't stop. He didn't stop completely. So uh, I thought it was a great goal. Great hands. Is it, isn't it that the puck can't be reversed? It was like the puck can't go backwards? I don't think it was. Did you? I, well, I'll be honest. Uh, so I thought that there was going to be – I thought there was going to be a review. Like, I was sitting there at the couch thinking, okay, the Jets won here, but let's lock this in. And it wasn't until the broadcast showed the Sabres players walking into their hallway that I thought, okay, a review's not coming. Because the final – so he slows right down, and I watch it in slow motion, and he's going forward. But the final move that he does, where he stops and moves the puck this way, he moves the puck backwards. So usually you can you can go and deke, and if your forward momentum is carrying you forward, even if you deke and pull the puck backwards, the puck is still going forward because you're carrying with your momentum. But he was almost at a dead stop. So I, I thought that there was potential for an argument for Craig – like clearly Craig Anderson thought so, but I thought there was potential for the argument that Blake Wheeler, the puck had stopped its forward progress before he shot it and put it in the net. I, I'm not, I'm not a bang a hundred percent on that rule though. Like I don't know if the puck moving back, like if I'm skating forward and I do a very exaggerated, you know, drag the puck back here and the puck does actually go backwards. I don't think that kills the play. So so uh, maybe Craig Anderson has nothing to complain about. I know if you stop dead, um, the play is over. But I do think if you look at it in, in, in a replay, I do think Blake Wheeler, when he makes the final move, the puck is traveling backwards, not forward, before it goes in the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I, I thought it was just a great move. I mean... Oh, it's, it's great. Really, I mean, it, it's we're getting to a very... Nit, I mean, for a league that celebrates goals, I mean, it's not like it changed 
the play. I mean, even if the puck goes back slightly, I, I, if if you're if you're overturning that goal, you got a problem. Like, do away with the shootout is my would be my opinion. Uh, and that's not what you're saying. I mean, uh, was it close? Yes, but uh, was it as close as the last time the uh, Sabres thought that they got the shaft on a review? No. No, no, sir. This was not Brett Hall toe in the crease, uh, get the team back on the ice, kind of a special. So uh, I thought it was a good move. Uh, Anderson, I mean, again, would phenomenal hands. Some phenomenal case, hands. Maybe. I mean, uh, all three of the goals in the shootout were fantastic, and they all were a matter of getting Anderson to freeze and then score. I mean, Dubois made a sort of sold five hole and scored low. Uh, medium blocker, Shifley kind of sold high glove and zipped it back the other way, high blocker, and Wheeler just makes an unbelievably uh, you know dy- dynamic move. I mean, he joked about it afterward. I mean, second press conference in a row where he allowed himself to smile and uh, said, "Didn't I look like Patrick Kane?" Uh, and in that case, he did. He looked like a six foot five version of Patrick Kane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, one quick thing again, I don't want to throw a Sean grenade uh, with, with 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 three minutes left in the show here, but. Man, we praised Shifley for his, you know, the, the stretch of the last two games. Uh, tonight one have been, might have been one of Shifley's worst games of the year for me. Uh, I don't, I don't have an explanation for it. He's been dynamite. Um, Thirty-three points during this stretch. He's been awesome in the last couple of games, especially after the lines were split up. Um, uh, it was very baffling to me that the his play on the first goal by Gergensen's was was very poor. Um, he did get in the lane to block sort of the first time, but then a complete, that, that is, we talked about flybys this year. That is a complete flyby. Uh, puck management was very poor in the game and I think zero shots on goal. And, and, and Sean, you know this, in a game where Kyle Connor is not in the game, you need Mark Shifley to be an impact player in the game. He was an impact player in the shootout, but he was not an impact player for 65 minutes. I, I honestly thought it was one of his worst games of the year. You know what? One of the things that I think that has really been working for Mark Shifley lately is his ability to uh, to take the puck away or or force turnovers True. just by getting into passing lanes. He's really good at, uh, you know, like if, if he's bearing down on a guy and a guy tries to sauce a pass past him, he just picks it out of the air like nothing. And he's been doing that really, really well lately. And I do think that's where a lot of his lack of engagement that people get bothered about comes from because he's got that ability to not just turn over the puck but turn it over without having to lean on a guy and get tangled up with the guy so that when he does turn it over he's clear and he's going the other way and it's one of the ways that he builds his offense and what I do think is over the last little while um, that's what we've been seeing from him that, that that's one of the reasons why his game has been working it, it was a night tonight where it wasn't working that well but the one thing that I thought was fairly uncharacteristic of him is he was seemed to be handing out a lot of turnovers like giving the puck back unforced trying to make plays that didn't even seem to be like like it just seemed like he was throwing the puck around he he was careless with the puck tonight you are right the Jets overcame one of the things they had to overcome in this game and one of the things that I think Connor Hellebuck is is the guy who got them to overcome it was the fact that that line uh, was was a stone tied to the ankle of the Jets on this evening. You're right. He he was not very good. It's another one of these games that you know that the people who have had things to say about Mark Shifley very legitimately have something to say about him. Uh, but yeah, tough night for Mark Shifley. I would say. 
we should also say that Mark will be ready for tomorrow. He loves playing in Toronto. He was oh, a yeah. Leafs fan growing up, but uh, he loves the attention of the you know the spotlight being in a game in Toronto. He knows he's going to have to be better, and I would expect him to respond. But uh, today was not good enough, quite frankly. Well, he I, the stats going into the game were that he loves playing Buffalo as well. Uh, but I mean, we'll see. We'll see what's going on here. Again, I do fully expect. I, I do think that there was maybe a little bit of. Uh, the Jets looking ahead to the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, tomorrow night. I think they got away with it, and that's fine. Uh, uh, again, uh, I'll say it. I'll end it how I started it. Uh, Jets outplayed, I think, for four of their last six games. Uh, went to overtime where they could not win. Uh, it happened three times. This was a team that couldn't win in overtime. Three of those games go into overtime. I mean, if they lose one or two of those overtime games, Ken, their situation is pretty dire. But the fact that they just keep, you know, playing playing with fire and pulling it out of the fire time and time again, 10 out of 12 points is the kind of pace that they need to be on. Now they got to keep that kind of pace up, though, against a much higher class of opponent. We'll see what they do with that. You have any last words? Yeah, I mean, this is another one of the shows where, I mean, we've got to minute of 60. Man, Josh Morrissey again tonight. Just, this is uh, this is on repeat. Uh, just another excellent game for Morrissey, I thought, on the back end over oh. I mean, over 25 minutes. Uh, also, Did- DeMello, I thought DeMello was really good. He was a little bit more involved uh, offensively, joined the rush a bit, two hits, 23 minutes and change. Josh, 25-03. Um, I thought he was pretty good again tonight. Uh, we both think Hellebuck, uh, to the point that you just made about uh, Josh Morrissey, um, sorry, Ryan, Ryan, for our podcast people, Ryan Close has asked if Comrie plays tomorrow. Both of us think Hellebuck. Go back, I can't remember what period it is, but Tage Thompson, who's what, can 6'7", six, 6'8", six, mm-hmm. yes. and a really good player, um, there's one point he has the puck and, and Morrissey gets on the inside of him, checks him, fights with him for the puck and ends up taking the puck fairly cleanly away from him. Go back and take a look at that play if you want to see what Paul, what what uh, Morrissey does extremely, extremely well. And one of the things that makes him a good player, he's not the biggest guy out there, but he does this time and time again. I just thought because you saw this guy who's as big as Tate Thompson is, it really, you saw the discrepancy in size. But the way Josh defends, he can get physical in a way where he neutralizes the size advantage that a lot of forwards have against him. And it's just meaningless against him. And if you want to see how he does it, that play where he takes the puck away from Tage Thompson, I believe in the first period, um, is the exact thing that you want to look to. If you're young hockey players out there, if you're hockey parents and you've got a little bit of an undersized defenseman, get them to watch that play because that is a master class in how you handle that situation. Uh <laughs> Take me to the buffet right now, according to Peaches. Good stuff. Um, hey, before we go, I want to say uh, we re- really appreciate all the questions. We used a lot of them tonight. Um, we heard some people talking about getting their wake-up water bottle. Uh, if you're interested in any of our gear that we have at the Sportsnet store, go to www.shopsportsnet.store. Uh, we've got K&R shirts. We've got wake-up mugs and water bottles. You'll see it right now. Kenny's wearing his wake-up shirt. I'm wearing my Sean's headband shirt. Uh, man, they're so comfy. I just love them. They're great stuff. If you want to get them, you know where to go to get them. We appreciate all the support that we get from you, whether it's in the chat room or whether it's buying our gear it means a ton to us. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, we will see you after a huge game tomorrow night.